God bless you. While you're standing, thank you for standing. We're going to look into the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. And it is a familiar setting of scripture. So um, it says it like this. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, everyone say Naboth. The Jezreelite had a vineyard. Someone said had a vineyard. Which was in Jezreel. Hard by the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Verse 2. And, it came, and Ahab spake unto Naboth, uh-oh, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it and Money, verse 3, and Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. With the help of the Lord, I just want to just go on this thought, no deal. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We appreciate your presence in your house, God, your people, Lord, who love you lifting up their voices and their hands, God, in praise unto you. I appreciate everything you've done and everything you're doing and what you'll do in the rest of this service. Someone say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it tells us the devil, he is subtle. He's referred to as the serpent. The wiles of the devil is how he's described in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 craftiness of him. We're told in James 4 verse 7 to resist the devil. I'm sorry. Resist him. And 1 Peter 5 8 Brother Trace it says the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. How about a trade? Maybe just jump right in here today and not just pitter patter around. How about a trade? How about you take what's behind door number three? You want what's behind door number three? That's what Ahab is saying to Naboth. How about curtain number two? Or even this curtain right here. You can have any of these things. We'll make a trade. How about it? Contents of this box behind the curtain, behind the door. Naboth says no. As we look at 1 Kings chapter 21 verse 1, Naboth had this vineyard and it bordered along hard. It means it ran in conjunction with the palace, with Ahab's property. Anybody got somebody that you're in conjunction? You got a neighbor, you got a yard line. Sometimes you wonder where that line might be. In the Old Testament, you didn't have to worry. They just put up stones. And there were, there were boundaries. They were referred to as landmarks. And those landmarks were, were what divided, which kept your property line so that everybody knew where it was. See, if somebody was cunning or they were uh, conniving, they might go over there in the middle of the night and move your landmark to increase their property size. Well, that ain't going to fly. Some of you are already thinking, well, that ain't going to fly. <laughs> no way. That's my property. That's mine. You can't have it. 
Well, Naboth had this property that bordered right along the king of Samaria, Ahab. Ahab comes to him, I guess, one day when he was bored, and he says to him, see, the devil gets bored. The enemy gets bored every once in a while. He said, he's described as a roaring lion walking about. Everyone thinks he's running to and fro. Are you kidding? He says he just has to walk. Kind of lazily like. Throw a big roar every now and then. You don't know where it's coming from. Confuse your prey. Well, Ahab comes to him and he says to him very boldly and very like in your face, he says, direct and forceful. Give me your land. takes a several different approaches here. If you look at it all in one, one verse setting of Scripture, Brother David said, give it to me. And then he says, he changes his mind. He kind of says, well, I'm going to try a different approach. He says, I want it to grow herbs and vegetables. Kind of maybe appeal to his more uh, natural and naturist type atmosphere, you know, as a, his makeup. Let's have some trees and we can hug them. Oh, no, you know what I'm talking about. He's trying to, trying to use reason, and he says, Let's, I want to I grow something in it. You'll like it. And then he, that doesn't work. He says, or better yet, how about I give you another vineyard better than the one you have? I don't think you can. How about money? Will that appeal to you? Read to the greed? And I like the way he says, verse 3, he says, The Lord forbid it me. It's my inheritance. If you look at the CEB, I like the way he put that in the CEB, verse 3. He says, Naboth responded to Ahab, Lord forbid that I give you my family inheritance. No deal. <laughs> it's important to the Lord. And it's important to me. That's what Naboth was saying. No deal. It's important to the Lord, and it's important to me. So it's living for God. We know that there are things that are important to God. You read it throughout the scriptures. It just, it just, just slaps you in the face every time you're looking through things. You find things that are important to God. Brother Tostin, paying your tithes. That's important to God. Giving back to God what's due him. Praying, and, and you just fill in the blank. But when it becomes important to you, and when it becomes important to me, now we're starting to connect with something here, folks. An inheritance is the acquisition of a possession, a valuable possession, or a trait from past generations. It's a birthright. It's a legacy. It's a heritage. That's what Webster says an inheritance is. It's valuable. Naboth wasn't interested what was behind the door or the curtain or what was in the box because nothing would compare to what he possessed in the land. <laughs> I'm not intimidated by your position or your power or the vast amounts of wealth that you offer me, Ahab. It's not worth a trade. 
Nothing comes close to its importance to me or that which is handed down to me. My birthright, my heritage, my legacy. So you're starting to get the picture here. No deal, Naboth. Naboth's saying, no deal, Ahab. It ain't going to work. I don't want what you have to offer. Thank you very much. I appreciate the offer. Uh, in a kind way, you are king. I understand that. And I am but a lowly servant. But I want you to understand this is mine, and I don't want to trade it. I don't want to barter it. I don't want to hand it off. I don't want to give it to you. I don't want to trade it. I, it's, it's no deal. I hope with the help of the Lord, I could help convince somebody what you've got is important. What you've got is valuable. What God has given you, what has been handed down to you and handed down to me is more valuable than any amount of money. It's more valuable than any house or any home or any certificate or any car or any boat or any plane you may own. It's precious. It's invaluable, meaning it's priceless. And it's powerful. <laughs> We're told in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's how Paul described it to the church. It's, the, it's a treasure, and it's in an earthen vessel, meaning it's in me. Ephesians 1, 11 says, we've obtained an inheritance. Unlike land given to the tribes of Israel in Joshua chapters 13 through 19. You know the story, what had happened. They had, they had finally come out of bondage after 430 years in Egypt. They finally wandered around long enough that all of those without faith would pass by. And the faithful were standing there at the borders of Jericho and, and the Jordan River, and Joshua begins to delve out who's going to get what. Well, guess what you get, Manasseh? Guess what you get, Gideon? Uh, all of the tribes were then sat there, and you get the border from here to here, and this to that, and this mountain range to this riverbed. This is yours. And we're told that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. There were houses there that they didn't put up. They didn't build them. Fields that had been, had, had been labored. Much labor had been brought forth so that it would bring crops. There were vineyards that had been planted, and they were bringing forth much fruit. He said, that's all yours. He said, it's yours. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. We know that that Old Testament typology is a reference to the promised land that you and I have. We have waiting for us. A place that the Lord is preparing for you and preparing for me. It's a place I didn't do anything with. I, I didn't have any part of it. He did it. He put it all together. Oh. We're told that Ephesians 1.18, he said, Oh, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. To look down the further in that verse, he says, what is the riches of the glory of my inheritance? Do I see that? Do I recognize the fact that what I possess is not to be trifled with? What I have that's been given to me is not to be laid down as part of a bet in five-card draw or poker. 
It's not to be roll of a dice. It's not to be treated as if it's something that, well, we'll say la vie if I've got it, and if I don't, no big deal. That's how Esau treated it. Open my eyes and turn my darkness to light from the powers of Satan unto God. It's my inheritance, the acts that Luke said to Acts 26, verse 18. That's what he was referencing to. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. We'll read down there. He says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with him, then shall we sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And look at the next verse. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says, I've been putting this thing together for a long time. We know that a day of the Lord is as references of time. Can you imagine over the, the space of time a place that he has prepared for you? Your inheritance has been brewing for a long time. He has been, it's like a pot, that special pot, your, your famous recipe you put in a crock pot and you come walking in after an hour, then four hours, then eight hours and a whole house smells so good. Hey, he has been putting together. <laughs> it's not like a pot of stew, but it's like a heaven. It's like a place described where there are streets of gold and walls of jasper. And the angels are there crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. An inheritance like nothing you can imagine. Colossians 3.24 says we receive the reward of the inheritance. If we could just see the importance or the value of our inheritance. If we could somehow just some be enlightened. If I could look at it different than I have in the past. This thing is precious. The fact that he, he came and robed himself in flesh. He died for me and he died for you. It's my inheritance, and it's your inheritance. And guess what? We all got enough. <laughs> it's not like we got to, oh, well, there might be just enough for Brother Marshall. Are you kidding? There's more than enough. There's more than enough. Brother Marshall, <laughs> it's an ending. <laughs> Brother Tiger, there's more than enough. The inheritance has no end. If I could just see this value, if I could just look at it, that it's not something that's offered as temporary. And if I would not look at it as temporary and exchange it for something that this world has to offer. Hebrews 11.25, I think I gave that to you. Talking about Moses, he chose rather to suffer affliction, suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Temporal, temporary, looking at it as, ooh, that looks good. He didn't say it wasn't exciting or didn't wasn't pleasurable. He references it as pleasurable, but it's temporary. Your inheritance that's been handed down to you is not temporary. Come on, it's eternal. Can you wrap your head around that? Eternal, eternal. It's more than tomorrow. 
more than next week, more than next month, more than 10 years from now. It's eternal. Without end. They looked at it and said, well, many, Moses chose not to, but many said, well, I'll accept that. That sounds like a fair deal to me. Moses was saying, like Naboth, no deal. I don't want any part of that. I'll suffer affliction. I'll go through whatever you got for me, Lord, if that means that I get an eternal inheritance, one with no comparison to what Egypt could offer. Solomon wrote, you can read chapter 6 and chapter 7. It talks about, you know, how sin is trying to entice. Often it's referred to as she. But I want you to know it's not just for men that have to worry about what takes place in those chapters. It's talking about in, in reference, as a woman does this, she says, she's looking for the simple ones. Did I give you Proverbs 7 verse 7? And behold, among the simple ones I discerned among the youth, a young man void of understanding. He didn't have a clue what he had. And his eyes said, Wow, I want that. Come on now, that's what the devil does. He just sees constantly throwing stuff out there. This world has gone so far. Come on now, really. If you're older than 40, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But you certainly have seen a change in what is acceptable. What you saw as this was acceptable and this was unacceptable. And since then, I mean truly, the floodgates have been opened. And the things that are now taken as being acceptable is just like, I never could imagine that this would be something my children are facing or my grandchildren face. The, the, way, the wages of sin is death. It just constantly rolling. It's like a snowball in an avalanche. It's just gaining momentum. And every day and every week, Brother Rick, it just gets bigger and bigger and takes everything in its pathway. People wonder what's right and what's wrong anymore. It's like, I don't even know. Unless you read your Bible. You read your Bible, you know what's wrong. You know Hollywood does not have the answer to what holiness is. You know that it does not. You know the world shouldn't be tell you how to raise your children. Read your Bible and you'll understand. Described as simple ones, enticed, luring ones, someone. The devil's trying to make a deal with somebody, luring them in, trade this for that. I'll give you this for this. Come on. No deal. Satan tempts Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Verse 3, 6, and 9, he says, If thou, he's questioning who he is. If thou, but I like Jesus. 4, 7, and 10 says, It is written. He responds, Well, I'll tell you what, Lynn. Why don't we bargain a little bit? See if we can get a little better deal here. Are you kidding? Not even. It is written. You know, 
This isn't in my notes, but you just, it's free. Whenever we think we can bargain with the devil, whenever we think somehow it's okay to lay things out on the table, let's, let's see if he's holding an ace or not. Let's just see what he's got. You're in big trouble. He's the king of bluffs. He's the king. He's, he's got you beat hands down. Talk about those folks that play that poker and wherever they play it, and they got the, the shades on so you can't see their eyes so they can bluff you and telling you what the king of bluffs. Don't even try it. You, you, you can't. You're not going to make a deal with the devil. He came to seek. Came, no, he didn't come to seek and save that which was lost. He came to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Corey, he didn't come just to, hey, let's just take the best two out of three. Are you kidding? He has one intent. To steal, to kill, and destroy your walk with God. It's written. That's how he responded to it, the word. Let's see what the word has to say. He's saying, no deal. Satan, no deal. And I love verse 11. He said, and the devil, leave it to him. Hello. No deal. Unlike Esau in Genesis chapter 25, as I've already previously just started to allude to. Verses 29 through 34, Brother Bernie. He's, it, this is not a pretty story. Esau got an inheritance as being the firstborn over Jacob. The firstborn inheritance didn't mean you got it all. It means you got the best. Not that Jacob wasn't going to get anything. It was that the best went to the firstborn because the responsibility of the family went on their shoulders and they had to carry that. And with that came a great blessing. And Esau, verse 29, returns from the field and he's hungry and he finds Jacob making pottage or soup. Yeah, there might be a message in that. <laughs> One of them, he's making soup. The other great hunter comes back and he's hungry. Verse 30, Esau says, feed me. I am faint from hungry. I'm faint. I'm so hungry. I'm weak. Many of you know what we're talking about. Verse 31, Jacob, who is referenced as the deceiver or surplanter, offers pottage or soup in exchange. She's an opportunity. He's weak. His brother's weak. He's hungry. And his belly usually wins. And Jacob says, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you some soup for your birthright, for your inheritance. Verse 32, he says, I'm at the point of starvation. I'm reading, I'm paraphrasing, verse 32. And Esau says, I'm at the point of starvation. What? <laughs> What's an inherent, inheritance mean if I die? What's the value of that? If I die and I still haven't, I still have an inheritance when I can make a deal for food by trading it with my brother. Verse 33, Esau sold his birthright that day. He traded it 
for a bowl of soup. The firstborn's inheritance was bartered with for a bowl of soup. I think you could have got more than that. But the point is, what was the value of it? Jacob looked at it and said, I understand the value of it. Even as a deceiver, even as a surplanter, he understood the value of that inheritance. But Esau did not. The devil sometimes understands the value of your inheritance more than you do. He understands. So verse 34, Jacob gives him his soup, and it says that Esau despised his birthright. Sister Kristen, scary, scary thought. Said he despised his birthright. The Good News translation says it like this. Then Jacob gave him some bread and some of the soup. He ate and drank and then got up and left. That was all Esau cared about, his rights as the firstborn son. Give me some soup and some bread. My tummy's full. I'm going to go back and go on my way. 106 and 40 of Psalms says the people abhorred his own inheritance. They abhorred it. They didn't appreciate it. They even despised it, much like that. Hebrews 12, 17 talks about Esau after the fact. That said, they'd mentioned all the heroes of faith. Esau comes to mentioning chapter 12, and he would, he would have inherited the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears wasn't important to him. He didn't see the value of his inheritance. Oh God, I, I, if just one person could reevaluate what you have. If just one of you to understand, if, if, if I could just, Brother Eugene, get a, a, a greater revelation, a greater appreciation of what I possess, what God has entrusted me with. If I would not use it and, 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 and just, just put it out there as if it's some sort of bartering chip, some sort of you know, opportunity to better my position in, in the church or better my position in the world. I don't want to use it for bartering. I don't want to use it to trade. It's not. It wasn't important to Esau. It was to Naboth. It cost him his life. You say, well, that was really a bum deal. No, you don't get it. He didn't give up his inheritance. He hung on to that thing. Thankfully, you see it differently. You understand. It's my inheritance. That's what the psalmist writer, verse, chapter 16, verse Number five, he says, it's mine. Acts, Luke said like this, 20 and verse 32, that inheritance is given unto me. It's mine. And I'm closing right here. If you want to stand, I would appreciate it. First Peter chapter one, verse three and four. I'll read it out of the King James. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. The CEB says it like this. It's pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish. No deal, devil. No deal. I don't want what's behind door number two. I don't want behind, behind curtain number three or that box. I don't care what it is. You can do the hype and raise the music up and you can do whatever you want. I want my inheritance. And I'm going to hang on to that thing. And it's precious to me. It's important to me. I may not fully understand. Anybody fully understand what heaven's going to be like? I, have, I, I think I just have a, like this much, the head of a pen. He's been preparing that for you. I've got a finite mind. Not him. It's glory. It's riches. It's pure. It's undefiled. It, it, it's, it's like you can't hardly even imagine. It's worth hanging on to. It's worth when the devil comes knocking on your door, when you're employer or your spouse or someone begins to question your, your, your holiness or your purity or your motives, you say, hey, there's no deal going on here. I'm not changing what I've got. I'm not changing holiness, whether it's in the church or out of the church. I don't want to live different on Sunday as I live on Monday. Are you getting the idea? No deal. What I've got's important to me. I'm going to cherish that thing, Brother Justin. It's so important to me. King, wife, husband, employer, thanks but no thanks. I'm not, I'm not changing. I'm not giving in to that. I'm not giving up. We're not bartering. You got the best bargain already on the table, I promise you. These altars are open today. You want to pray. You just want to stay where you're at. You're more than welcome. God of heaven, we love you and praise you. We appreciate that heavenly gift. I understand that the kingdom is not meat nor drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I understand, God, this life is just temporal. But there is a life that's going to be eternal. There's a place that's going to be eternal. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to hear that voice say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yes.